Um, hey, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you would, raise your hand. We'd love to get you a Bible so you could follow along with us. We have some leaders out here. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're at. Um, as we are turning there, let me just share a couple quick announcements. I know it's a longer announcement time. Um, I want to invite everyone out to this. You guys know this, but on Wednesday nights, we are here at 6.45 p.m., and we're doing something called Alpha. Alpha is a way for us just to engage with our family and our friends and just the community who don't yet know Jesus, believe in Jesus. Maybe they left the faith. Maybe they've been hurt by the church in the past. Our hope is to re-engage or just engage with them for the first time over the person of Jesus. Uh, We are halfway through Alpha this is not designed for the Christian as much as it's designed for the non-believer, but we'd love for you to come to see how well-made these videos are, to have a meal with people, to sit down, eat some food, and discuss the things of God. So that's going to be Wednesday nights. I think there's four, four or five more weeks here, 6.45. We have a free meal, uh, a great little chat, and it's all focused on Jesus. We'd love for you guys to be a part. That's this Wednesday. Um, also, very exciting thing that we're doing today for the first time. Uh, for the first time ever, we're doing something called the Exchange 101. This is just a four-week class that we're going to be doing after church in the library, the youth room, uh, from 12.30 to 1.30. Uh, This is a way for us not just to, like, say, like, if you're new to the faith or Christianity, but if you've been a believer for years, we kind of want to walk through why does the church exist? What is our role here? What's your role here? What's the purpose of all of this? Why do we gather? Uh, How do we actively love and serve and be available for our community? And so I'll be kicking off the first class uh, immediately after this at 12.30 in the library. I think we have, like, 38 signups, and we have two more spots open, so for the two of you that want to come, come. Uh, We would love for you to be a part of that. That would be awesome immediately after this. Uh, Also, uh, one more, two more things. We have an October outreach that we're doing. So in a couple of Saturdays, uh, we are going to be partnering with the city, and we're basically going to be a part of like a fall festival sort of a thing. So we're going to have some games, some goodie bags, some invites to church. We just want to love and be present with our community. Um, So we've done this the last couple of years. It's a way for us to partner and be with the city and just to have a presence in our community, which we want to have all the time. So uh, we'd love for you to be part of that. There's three shifts. If you could sign up for one of the three shifts, that would be amazing. That's on our website under Connect and under Events. All right, lastly. This is crazy. We are done with the book of 2 Corinthians. It has been like a seven-month journey of walking through the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, This has been fun for us to walk through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, break it down, Uh, but also kind of like what's next. So next week, we are starting the book of 1 Thessalonians, and it's kind of a church that did things a little bit differently than the Corinthians. They walked worthy. Paul praised them. This has been a little bit heavy. More 1 Thessalonians, like, good job, well done, keep it going. So we start that book next week, just want you to be aware. All right, with that, let's begin. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to be in verse 5. As we close out, let me just kind of remind you guys of why we went through this book. Coming out of 2020, just a year of a lot of probably uh, spiritual unrest, a lot of um, unhealthy rhythms were probably kind of implanted into our lives, we thought it'd be good for this year to pray over, God, we want to be spiritually uh, just healthy. Uh, we want to follow you, Jesus, on a day-to-day basis in a healthy way. We want to establish new rhythms. We want to do a, just a new way of living. And so we've looked at this book the way Paul wrote it, saying, you are a new creation in Christ, and there's a new way to live as followers of Jesus. And so that's kind of been our take is like, God, do a detox in us as we walk through this book. Now, it's appropriate because as we close out and read Paul's like goodbye like portion, this is kind of that farewell, closing thoughts kind of passage. Paul is basically ending with this main thought. He's saying, 
examine your hearts, examine your faith, test yourselves. Are you really in the faith? And he's, he's challenging the Corinthians who've been examining him and testing him. And he says, I want you now to examine yourself. Paul began this book with comfort. He will end with comfort in a different way. But Paul began with comfort and then says, listen, examine yourselves. Uh, the title today is simply a spiritual exam, a spiritual exam. I think this is such a necessary and healthy thing for us to do. It's just sometimes sit with God and say, God, search me, know me, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me, correct it. Bring me and just uh, to the paths of, of light, of, of righteousness. This is basically what Paul is doing here. So I want to read 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, and we're going to read through the end of uh, verse 14, and then we'll pray. So we are finishing up this book. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Here's what Paul writes. Paul writes, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you'll find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, that you may not fail this. Not that we may appear to have met this, but what you may do, what is right, but that you may do what is right. Though we may seem to have failed, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when, when, when we are weak and you are strong, your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Verse 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another or have the same mind. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. We thank you for, for these closing thoughts and comments. We thank you for this call, Jesus, to give you room, to say, search us, examine us. Jesus, I do ask my life and all of our lives, God, that there would be a sense of just your presence, that you're with us, just a realization, God, that we're not doing this alone. Father, I just pray for everyone in this place that whether they doubt their salvation, whether they're confidently walking in a path that they maybe need to re-examine, that they would do that. God, I ask that those who maybe are in, a, in just a place of doubt, that you would also comfort, remind them of who you are and what you've done. Just remind them of the finished work of the cross today. We thank you for your love and your grace. We ask that you'd speak and that you'd move in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. About four years ago, um, when my wife and I were getting ready to church plant, we are on staff at a church for about almost nine years, and uh, I had to go get a full-time job, and I got a couple other random side jobs, like early on, we're starting this process, and so on Tuesday nights, I was a security guard for a few hours. Uh, on the weekends, I, I picked up proctoring. I would proctor the SAT and the ACT, and that was a really fun little side gig. You'd make like 150 bucks for just kind of proctoring, passing the test, and sitting there, and I would see these kids come in almost weekly, whether it's the ACT or SAT, like panicking. Like to them, and you know, some of you might be young enough just to remember this, but you remember taking the ACT or the SAT, or the SAT and your thought was like, this is a big deal. 
And so I kind of I like to mess with the students. When they'd come in, I'd say, listen, this is the biggest day of your life. And if you fail the test, you will go nowhere in life. And I would just like to just mess with them, and it never really worked. But I try to make it lighthearted, like, hey, take it easy, relax. But you'd see people kind of coming in panicked. Like, I don't know if you're in here and you love test taking, if you like taking tests. I don't know if you hated taking tests. I don't know if maybe you try to get creative or, like, weasel your way out of answering a question. Um, but as I was even re- researching this and thinking back to, like, my time, as like a test taker in high school, some of those things. I was like, wow, like I really did not like tests and I want to get creative with it. And so uh, in just kind of preparing for this and researching this creative ways or people who panicked and didn't know how to answer, I thought I'd share with you a couple examples of what people wrote on some exams because I thought they're too good not to pass up. Um, so here's what one person wrote and hopefully you can read this. On one of the tests that was given, the teacher asked, maybe you can see this, short answer, 10 points, provide an example of risk was the question. The person, as you see here, put no. <laughs> I love it. And the teacher, look, the teacher gave him a check mark. I love this teacher. It's like, provide an example of risk. No. It's like, well done. <laughs> I really like that. This one made me laugh. Uh, this one was probably my favorite. I don't know if you can read the top. We'll go to the next one. Uh, this was obviously for like a kindergartner or first grader. Uh, they had to write 10 words I can spell R. That's what it says at the very, very tippy top. And this kid brilliantly wrote 10 words I can spell right are. And then they added octopus seven and two. I don't know. That was a great ending. But I love it. 10 words I can spell are. And this teacher, look, she put three or he or she, put three out of 10 see me after class. Shame on this teacher. That is so creative. That is a 10 out of 10. Don't see me after class. I'd say you're brilliant. Um, Unbelievable. Next question on the test that was asked. The teacher wrote, what ended in 1896? And the answer was 1895. Again, I love, this is like me. This is my heart right here. I, I think this next one must have been an earth science class. Uh, you can see here like up the top, sedimentary rock, extra credit. What is the strongest force on earth? They wrote, love. <laughs> and the teacher crossed it out. Again, I think this is right. Oh, two more, two more. Um, I'm not sure. This is probably math. Uh, the question was, to change centimeters to meters, you take out centi. <laughs> I literally love this. Uh, does anyone ever do this? I'm just curious where you at. Where are my creative people at? No? No one? Okay, come on. Last one. And there's no way a kid wrote this. It's how to be a parent, but it's still too good. Uh, math test. Bob has 36 candy bars. He eats 29. What does he have now? Diabetes. Bob has diabetes. <laughs> All right. I love this. I don't know if you've panicked under test taking. No one likes tests. No one likes exams. It's, it's nerve wracking, right? It's not enjoyable. Here's the thing. Paul basically says, this is a spiritual exam I want you to, to give you today. He says, test yourselves, examine yourselves to whether or not you're in the faith. Listen, with all this test and all the exams you've ever taken, none of them are really that important compared to the spiritual test, right? Like in reality, there is a spiritual test essentially. Now, this is not you have to prove your salvation, but if you've been saved, if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, there should be this inward response or change in your life that will lead to outward actions. Again, outward things don't save us or change us. It's not about the outward. God cares about the inward. Jesus says, hey, you Pharisees, you religious people, you only care about the outward cup, but the inward cup is dirty, right? God cares not necessarily about the external, but the internal, but the internal should lead to external changes. Paul has basically challenged these Corinthians who've been challenging him throughout this entire letter and his response. You can see it. He's saying, now I want to end with your test. 
you've been testing me, you've been examining me, let me now share with you a spiritual test. So I want to walk through this, because uh, this is necessary. This probably gets neglected a lot, I would say, maybe today in the church, this idea of just asking these tough questions. Where are you at with God? Where are you at in your faith? Uh, can people test you and examine you and say, hey, you know what? When I examine your life, you obviously must be a follower of Jesus. Are we just playing spiritual games here? Like, what is going on? So as we walk through this text, it went from really funny to really heavy. All right. As we walk through this text, we're going to break it down into kind of four areas because this is how Paul breaks it down and walks us through this. We're going to see a self-examination, uh, ministry dedication on Paul's behalf, this communal exhortation where he, he, he encourages or exhorts everyone in some way, a similar way, and then we're going to see what we call a Trinitarian benediction or a Trinitarian blessing. It's where now he uses the Trinity to bless the people, and he ends with a blessing, and that is so beautiful to me. So we're going to kind of break down this text, all right? Here's the first one, self-examination. I mean, this is really the, the heart of what Paul wants to get at. This is kind of that, like, everything I've been writing to you, now I want you to get how I conclude and how I end. And so let's read, number one, for self-examination, let's read verse five again. This is very heavy, very beautiful as well. Verse five, Paul writes, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you'll find out that we have not failed the test. Paul is inviting them to have this self-examination process. I just want to remind you of the context. The Corinthian church um, was a messed up church, but beautifully called out and saved by the blood of Jesus. I love that Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, some of you were, and he names these lists of a lot of pretty serious and heavy and some grotesque sins. And then he says, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been redeemed. So the majority of this church, he goes, listen, I know, I know you've been washed and sanctified. I know you've been set apart. I know God's hand is on your life. He's redeemed you. But for some of the church in, the, in Corinth, Paul has had to deal with false leaders, false teachers, sexual sin. I mean, if you remember that the situation in Corinth, what's going on, people are getting drunk on communion. They're sleeping with family members. I mean, there's explicit sexual sins still being practiced in this church. They're suing each other over petty problems, right? You think like maybe churches are messed up here? Read about Corinthians. I mean, there's like a messed up sense to this, but here's the thing. He goes, but such were some of you. You're washed, you're redeemed, you're sanctified, you're called out. But here's what Paul's been doing now. Paul's like, you've examined me. Remember, the last few chapters, Paul's been given a defense for his leadership, for his apostleship. Last week, we talked about leaders who love, what that looks like. Paul's been having to kind of give an argument for who he is, his authority, his, call, his calling on his life. He's like, listen, I've responded to you, but now I'm going to invite you to do something you've done to me. I'm inviting you to examine yourselves, test yourselves. You know, it's crazy. We don't really have to teach people um, how to examine other people, how to judge other people. Like, we're really good at just naturally finding faults with people, sadly. It's very easy for us to meet someone, get to know someone closely. And it's like, even the more I get to know you, the more faults are revealed. Of course, it's going to happen. But we can do this all the time. It's hard to see our own faults at times. You know, if you are married, your spouse knows your faults. Uh, my spouse knows my faults. I don't want to give her the microphone for many reasons. <laughs> no. But she knows my faults, right? Like she, she knows me. She knows me through and through. I've been with her now over 13 years. Like, she knows me. My thing is, when you get, the more you get to know someone, you, you see the good, the bad, the ugly. Paul's saying, obviously, obviously, obviously you're going to see someone's faults. Obviously you've seen my faults, but it's not about this. You examine yourself. I think this is so important. Obviously, Jesus and the, the scriptures talked a lot about this, 
the idea that we're, we're willing to judge others but not place that same judgment on ourselves. Paul's like, I just want you to spend some time examining yourself. Stop thinking about this other person, this other pastor, this other leader, this other family member. Where are you at with God? Examine yourselves. Test yourselves whether or not you're in the faith. There is an invitation from scriptures to constantly kind of know who we are and where we're at with God. I want to throw a few verses up here, but we just see this from the very beginning. Here's the idea. Um, Job asks this. Job says, God, how many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. David, a few different verses from David, he says, God, you have tried my heart. You have tested me. Psalm 17. Psalm 26. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Psalm 139, this famous passage we know. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Uh, in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah, with the people, he says, listen to the, like, all of the people of Israel. Let us examine and probe our ways. Let us return to the Lord. In Haggai, uh, God speaking says this to the same thing to the people. In the book of Haggai, God says, consider your ways. Paul, in the first letter to the Corinthians, simply said, a man must examine himself. And he says this in the context of communion. Before you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, examine yourself. There's just this idea and this invitation from the scripture to take a personal look at where you're at with God, examine yourselves. Here's why. Because we have the tendency to be self-deceived. Like a lot of us, whether or not we think this or not, can really deceive ourselves really easily. We can compare and think, well, I'm not as far off as that person. I'm not at least doing that. We have the tendency to kind of always find ourselves in the right, not in the wrong. We have a tendency to justify ourselves. Paul's just saying, listen, you've spent a lot of time examining me. Examine yourself. Test yourself. He goes, see, you can see in us that we've not failed this test. I want to invite you to examine yourself. You know, here's the thing. The scriptures have this interesting, I think, uh, dichotomy of we can be assured of our salvation but we also should take some time and say, God, where am I at with you? Like we can have confidence we're in the faith, but at the same time, there's this, there's this element of you should really spend some time with the Lord. Of like, God, where am I at with you? Like, where, God, search, search me, know me, try me. You know, I, I hate to call it tests in some ways, but I might just do it for the sake of it being helpful. But there are certain tests the Bible kind of, or questions the Bible throws out there to say, hey, are you really a follower of Jesus or do you think you are? Here's the first test I want to kind of show that scriptures give. Uh, we'll call this the inward consciousness test. The inward consciousness test. If you want to go, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know I'm really in the faith? Again, you can go to church week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, and still not be a follower of Jesus. It's very easy to think that just because you've been attending church and you believe the right things and you can check off the right box, you might think, I'm good. It's very easy. There is something very personal that takes place, I think, between you and God and his spirit that I think is absolutely necessary that we see in scriptures. A couple of verses, and just the question is simply, do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life? Like, does the Holy Spirit confirm this truth to you, meaning has the peace of God, the spirit of God confirmed to you that you're his. Here's the first verse. It's Romans 8, 16. Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is one of those things where it's hard to fully explain and walk through. There's just something where you, as you're when you believe in Jesus and trusted in Jesus, and there's different times in your prayer, there's different times in your Christian journey where you might have doubt, you might have seasons of like, God, where am I at with you? And there might be some guilt and shame and past things come up, and the enemy loves to accuse you. We know this. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Satan accuses us in the Holy Spirit. He affirms us. He goes, you're mine. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're his children. 
Actually, Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. There is just this reality of, God, you're my father. I know you. You know me. I am loved by you. I mean, obviously, we sung that today, but just that brilliant, that brilliant idea that, God, I'm, I'm adopted into the family. I mean, the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus is so confident, so sure. I don't ever want to for a second even question it. Was the cross effective enough to save me? Think about that. We do this all the time. Was the cross enough to save me? It's like, how dare we question the cross in the sense of what God has done for us? Just the spirit kind of bears witness to your spirit. Hey, you're my son. You're my daughter. It's this inward consciousness test that I think the scripture constantly speaks into. Next test, honestly, that's just helpful. I think it's like, how do I know I'm truly like a follower of Jesus? I'm not just playing games. I'll just simply call it, you might not love this word, the obedient test, the obedient test. Here's why. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. <clears throat> this is what John says. Now by this we know, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. How do we know we know him? Do you keep his commandments? Jesus in John 14 said a very similar thing. He says, it's he who keeps my word, it's him who loves me. Whoever loves me keeps my commandments, John 14, 21, John 14, 23, twice. If you love me, you will keep my word. You will keep my commandments. The idea is, do we want to? Do we desire to? Not that will we be perfect in it, not that we won't fail or fall at it, but is the, the posture of our heart, this idea of Jesus, I just want to please you. I want to honor you. I want to obey you. This is not going to save you. This is a sign that you are saved. And then also Jesus put it this way, a passage we know well, Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but who? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. There's something about doing the will of the Father in heaven keeping his commandments. This is so important to the Christian faith. Do keeping the commandments save you? No, but it's a sign that you are saved. What are the commandments Jesus has given us? This goes to the third test, which is the love test. The, the commandments Jesus gave us are simply summarized in the word love. How do we know we love God? We love each other. How do we know we love God? We love him, we love each other, we love our enemies. This is the third thing, the love test. Do you love each other and do you love your enemies? Uh, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. How do we know we pass from death to life? We love each other. Jesus in John 13, 35, he says, By this, all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. There is just this reality of I love, we love the church, we love other followers of Jesus, there's this love that comes from God. I would never normally sit next to you, I'd never normally eat a meal with you, I'd never normally do this with you, but because the love of God is in my heart, it's in your heart, we have this love for each other. What I love about the church is that it is uh, multicultural, it's multi-generational, it's something where any culture, any person, any age can sit together and say, you and I have the most important thing in common, and that is Jesus Christ and I'm crucified. And there's this deep love for each other. But not only that, Jesus says, so what? You can love people who love, who love you. Even heathens do that. Everyone loves people who loves them. I love people who love me. We just are like that. He's like, but this is how you know. Do you love your enemies? We'll show that verse. It's in Matthew chapter uh, 5. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's all I'm trying to get at. Paul says, examine yourselves and test yourselves whether or not you're in the faith. I do believe in the New Testament, there's different truths or tests that God gives us to say, hey, hey, you know you pass from death to life if you love. You know that you know me if you keep my word. You know that you love me if you, if you keep my commandments. 
I mean, the Spirit will bear witness with you that you are God's son, that God does something in your heart. You say, God, you're my father. Where else can we go? No one else has the words of eternal life. There is something that I can only preach or communicate, but that you need to experience. I think what's hard about the Christian faith sometimes is like, this is not something I can either force you to do, force you to experience. I can't even make it happen magically. Obviously, you need to have this alone time with God where the Spirit does this in your life. You need to have your personal walk with God where you're on your face in your room before God and say, God, search me and know me. As painful as it might be, God, tear down what you need to tear down, but rebuild what you want to rebuild. God, make me that new creation in Christ. You know, let your Spirit bear witness that I am yours. There's something absolutely beautiful about this. And Paul is saying, I'm inviting you. You've been examining me, but you need to worry about your faith and your walk with God. I mean, at the end of the day, it's me and God. I mean, you think about the end of life itself. I'm not standing up there with you. You're not sitting up there with me. I'm not standing with my wife. She's not standing with me. Just me and the Lord. And this idea is our personal journey with God. It's in community, absolutely. But there still is this idea of examine yourself. You and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As Paul said earlier, this idea of just us and him, that's what matters. This is so important to our faith. I love the question he poses. He goes, unless you don't realize that Jesus Christ is in you. <clears throat> do you realize this? He's asking, do you know that Jesus Christ is in you? Let me just share something about this. I think for years, um, because of like maybe my Christian experience, maybe you had a very similar Christian experience. Uh, maybe you heard the phrase, accept Jesus into your heart. And maybe that like ruined you, probably like it did me. Where like every day for like 20 years, like Jesus, I can ask you to come my heart, right? right? Like we use some Christian language and phrasing sometimes. They're like, that's not probably good. There's a book by J.D. Greer, a pastor who wrote, he wrote a simple book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And I think it is so profound because ideas like believe on Jesus, trust in Jesus. You don't lose this. I, could you imagine if every day I went to my wife and I was like, hey, are we still married? She'd be like, what? Like, are we still married? She's like, stop asking me that. Like, that would be very uncomfortable, right? There's this idea that I think sometimes we, we, we take this concept of salvation and we don't realize how secure we are in Christ. And we don't realize what Jesus has done for us is enough. We don't realize the blood of Jesus. 5.13, John says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John's like, I want you to know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you can know you have eternal life? Again, I think there's some people who unnecessarily live with, am I saved, am I saved, am I saved, am I saved? And I, and I think it's an unhealthy response to a wonderful thing Paul invites us into. I've had people call me, email me, hit me up on Facebook, long posts. I think I lost my salvation. I don't think God loves me anymore. I don't think I'm really saved. And I've shared with them, and I minister to them, and I love them, and I, I talk to them back. And, and it's hard. There comes a point in time for many of these conversations, I'm like, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again? Yes, I do. Do you actively love him? Do you, just, do you believe that so much where it's done something into your heart? Yes. It's like you're saved. Like There is a side of this where, yes, there is an element where all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Like By no means do, do my works save me. And anyway, I don't want anyone to get their false idea here that your works save you. But Paul and John make the argument that your works are a sign that your heart has been saved, that your heart has been regenerated. Don't you know that Jesus Christ is in you? It's what Paul said in Galatians 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the idea is, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm dead in myself. I'm living for Jesus. Jesus lives in me. Don't you realize that Jesus is in you. See, even though on one hand, I get kind of tired and exhausted of the phrase, um, accept Jesus into your heart. At the same time, I think it's a very beautiful understanding that Jesus Christ does live and dwell in us. Paul actually said this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, for all the doubters out there. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
don't you realize that Christ is in you? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, there's a side of this where I think some of us really need to take, and not some of us, all of us need to examine and test ourselves. Some of you right now need to rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and know that his work was enough. Some of you need to repent of playing games with God and having a pseudo or false Christianity, doing whatever you want. Jesus is your Savior, but he's not your Lord, and you need to repent of that. Jesus is not just my Savior, he's my Lord. He's Lord, Lord, but you do not do the will of the Father. You say, Lord, Lord, but it's he who does the will of the Father. See, it's one thing to say, Jesus, you are Lord. It's another thing to say, Jesus, be Lord. Like, not just you are, but be that, be Lord. What you say goes. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. It's your love. It's this love. It's obedience. It's, I'm not going to get this right. I'm not going to be perfect in this. And I love what John wrote in 1 John 3, 23 through 24. John said in 1 John 3, he goes, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. I love this. It's Peter who's, who's denied Jesus three times. And Jesus is like, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter's like, I like you. I like you. I like you. That's literally what's happening in the Greek. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Do you agape me? I phileo you. He had this guilt in his heart. I cannot say agape God because I just denied him a few days earlier. And Jesus was loving enough to pursue me and remind him, hey, my love is still there for you. Like I still love you. Your heart condemns you. God is greater than your heart and knows all things. There's, some of you here need to be comforted. Some of you here need to be challenged. Paul is trying to do both. Paul is going to say, comfort one another, be of the same mind, live at peace, examine yourself. This is a beautiful call to the church. I really do believe that in this room, there are people who just need to go, God, am I really playing games? Like, am I really, do I really believe this? Am I really all in? Are you really my Lord? And maybe this, this moment, the Holy Spirit's saying, repent, believe on Jesus, and you'll be saved. For some of you, you have an unnecessary condemnation in your heart, and God wants to remind you of the cross of Jesus and his work being enough. Amen? I love what Spurgeon said about Christ living in us. Listen to this quote. Charles Spurgeon said, Christ in the heart means Christ believed in, Christ beloved, Christ trusted, Christ espoused, Christ communed with, Christ as our daily food, and ourselves as the temple and palace wherein Jesus Christ daily walks. This is what it means for Jesus to be in your heart, that he may dwell in your heart through faith. Don't you know that Jesus Christ is in you? First of all, number one, we saw self-examination. Number two is this. We see this ministry dedication. We won't spend too much time on this, but read with me in verse 7 what Paul says now. Verse 7, Paul says, But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul was really dedicated to this people. I want you to think the slander that has happened to Paul's name, the accusations that happened to Paul. Honestly, this is a very emotionally exhausting book. Every commentator writes, like 2 Corinthians is probably the most pastoral-like epistle you see from Paul, because you see like this ethos, his heart and soul being poured out, poured out into this. It's like, all I've done is loved you. All you've done is hate on me and pull away. And Paul is basically saying, I'm praying for you, and all I want to see is your growth. Here's two things in verse 7 through 10 I want to focus on. He goes, I'm praying for you, and I really do care about your growth. So twice, look at verse... Uh, We'll throw the verse up here. Verse 7 and verse 9, he says, We pray to God that you may not do wrong. Your rest restoration is what we pray for. Um, let me say this. It would have been very easy for Paul to stop praying for the Corinthians. When, when people never, like, receive your love or receive, like, your feedback or just, you know, reciprocate love, it's very easy to say, you know what? I've done anything I could. I'm done. I throw in the towel. Paul didn't have that mindset. 
Paul's like, you know what? We're just praying that you may not do wrong. Not saying to be sinless. He's saying, we pray that you pass this test, and we're just praying for your restoration. Remember, there are unrepentant sinners in Corinth, and he's saying, we just want to see you walking with Jesus. We want to see you restored. Here's what the call is for us today. Are there people in our life that maybe we've stopped praying for that God is calling us back to pray for? Like, are there people in your life right now that God's like, why did you stop praying for them? Did you think I gave up on them? You know, I think there's people we give up on that God has not yet given up on. I think there's people we kind of throw in the towel with, like, they won't change. Like, they, they, won't, they won't acknowledge their sin. They won't ever say, I'm sorry. They won't ever go back. Listen, Paul is praying for people that I would see. It might be easy for him to be like, you know what, I'm done. I've seen them in a while. I've been talking to them in a while. Jesus, you love them. Bless those who curse you. The Bible says, pray for those who use you. Hey, God, I want to bless, just want to pray blessings over these people. Is there people in your life that God's like, hey, you don't stop praying for them? Don't stop desiring to see their growth and them being built up. Remember, Paul tries to use his spiritual authority, as he says in verse 10, not for tearing down, but, but for building up. What I love about verse 10 is it's probably, again, the best summary of leadership. It's not to tear people down, but to build people up. Uh, Jeremiah and different parts of the Bible actually talk about how it's necessary to tear down. It's absolutely necessary to tear down so you can build back. There's something beautiful about that. We see that in Nehemiah. Sometimes you have to tear things down before you can build up. But the idea is that Paul's like, but my primary use as a, a leader is not to come. I don't want to be severe when I see you, he says. I want to be able to build you up. And know what's really cool about this? You can read in actually Romans 15 later. Paul talks about the churches in Achaia that actually provided for the Romans' needs, this would have been Corinth. What I love about this is if you actually go and read later, Corinth seemed to repent. They gave this generous offering to the church in Rome. They heard Paul's words. They listened to him. And I'm very thankful Paul did not give up praying for them. It would have been easy to say, Corinth, you say one thing and do another. You're, you're constantly playing the hypocrite and you're calling me out in the process. I'm done with you. That would probably be my response. It'd be emotionally draining and exhausting. Paul's like, we're just praying for your restoration. This word restoration is we want to see that, that net that's broken. We want to see it mended. We want to restore that broken bone. The word restoration means that which is crooked or broken, we want to make straight. There's some things in your life that are off. We're just praying that God makes it straight. Listen, this, this to me is endurance and patience from a leader that I'm not there yet. I, I want to learn from this. Parents, maybe you feel the same way for your kids. Maybe you feel this way for people you love and care about. Maybe this idea, like, I don't know if I should, I'm done praying for this. They don't change. I would say this, do not give up praying. Obviously, the Corinthians heeded Paul's word. They repented. They offered this love offering gift. Paul's like, this is what we're praying for. This is what we want to see in you. We see this dedication that comes from Paul. And here's the third point. We see this communal exhortation. Like, Paul ends with some really, like, quick bullet point thoughts. And this is what happens a lot of times in letters. Like, there's just a few, like, fragment sentences. Like, hey, I want to remind you of this. Maybe, like, as a parent or a friend, you kind of, like, go, hey, don't forget this, 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 and this. Paul kind of says that. Look at number three. We're going to see this communal exhortation in verse 11. Here's what Paul leads to. He says, finally. And maybe some of you are like, man, it's been seven months. Finally, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. There is this communal exhortation. Three times Paul uses that phrase, one another. Uh, this is constantly used throughout the New Testament. One another, one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Restore one another. There's this idea of one another. Listen, the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. It cannot. You will not grow uh, by yourself in isolation. It just does not happen in the way people think. There are people who think, if I just have my Bible and read it for 40 hours a week, uh, I will be more like Jesus. That's not all 
always the case. It's probably not the case. Jesus did life with people. Jesus lived with people. The church is this idea of like community and how we might challenge one another, rub each other the wrong at different times, and yet we need that. Like what comes out of our life, what's displayed in those moments. Paul is saying bear with one another, restore one another, even greet one another. When you don't want to look at that person in the eyes, greet one another. There is something about one another. Listen, we need each other. I know you guys know this, but this truly is a plea for community. Church has to be more than we just come, hear a message, and leave. And I'll come back next week. And then maybe I'll hear a few things, like a few things, but not apply any of it. There has to be one another. Whether that's in community, in small groups, doing life, calling each other, praying for each other, getting coffee. You cannot just be a part of this community and this community and no one truly knows you. No one truly can kind of get into those deep issues in your life. No one can challenge your thinking. Paul is saying, hey, one another. This is what happens. So those five things he lists are, here's those five exhortations. We'll put them up here. He says simply, first of all, rejoice. Rejoice. You can't rejoice in circumstances, obviously, but rejoice. You can rejoice in the Lord. There'll be things that constantly fluctuate and change. He is like, but rejoice because the Lord is stable. Rejoice. He says, rejoice. Aim for restoration. The goal is primarily for the relationships to be restored, for people to walk with God. That is our goal or aim. We might not always hit that. That is the aim, aim for restoration. He says, comfort one another. This is how Paul began the book. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, who comforts us so that we might be able to comfort others. This is how Paul begins and this is how Paul ends. As much as this book feels very heavy, it was a book to bring comfort. He was comfort one another. And then the fourth exhortation is agree with one another, or he literally says, have the same mind with one another. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He goes, have the same mind. If you've ever been at odds with someone, and one person is, is desiring reconciliation, one person's desiring restoration, one person's not, it's very difficult to find restoration. You need both people to have the mind of Christ saying, you know what, I have the mind of Christ, I repent and I come before you humbly. I have the mind of Christ, I repent, I come before you humbly. I want to see reconciliation here. You know, it's very hard to see that when only one of the two has this desire. Paul has it says, have the same mind, restore one another, comfort one another, agree with one another, and lastly, live in peace. You know, again, coming out of 2020, it is so sad to me how you can't see people who maybe think differently, vote differently, they, and they go, I just can't even do life with you anymore, and I can't even be in the same room with you more, and I'm just going to go to a whole new place. No, live at peace. There's this idea, I love what Paul says in Romans 12, if at possible, live at peace with all men. It's sad that the church might be at odds, or the world might be at odds, but why does it have to happen to the church so often? Paul's plea is saying, be at peace with one another. Why do we let things divide us that are secondary, that are not the issues of Jesus? Meaning, the gospel should unite us way more than anything else could ever divide us. And he's like, live at peace with one another. There should be this fighting for peace when it comes to each other. And here's what he says. And maybe this is why we don't always see this in the church. He goes, if you do these things, rejoice, aim for com restoration, comfort, agree with, live in peace. Look what he says in verse 11. And the God of love and peace will be with you. This is so beautiful. As you live, as you rejoice, and you have the same mind, and as you comfort, and as you seek to restore, watch the God of love and peace be with you. It's not even just you have love and peace. You have God. Church, again, this is so, so close to my heart because for so long, for so long, and still to this day, I want things from God. I want the peace of God. I want the grace of God. But he says, no, no, you don't need those things. You need the God of those things. The God of love and the God of peace be with you. It's not like I need the peace of God. I need the God of peace. Amen? Like, I need God. I need God. If I have God, I have peace. If I have God, I have love. And the God of peace and of love be with you. He was this, watch this happen. 
it's crazy. I think in the church, we would see like more like that, just that sense of God, you're with us. You're near, you're here. I think we would see that if we practice these things. What if we sought to restore one another more than tear each other down? What if when someone posted something or said something on social media that we didn't like or agree with, what if we reached out and said, hey, can we get coffee? I don't just respond back to you and be negative. What if we actually sought restoration? What if we actually rejoiced with each other more and said, thank you, God. Thank you for my brother or sister who thinks differently or whatever. What if we actually did these things? What if we agreed with one another, lived in peace with one another, watched that the God of peace will be with us? I would love to see the church have like the manifestation presence of God more with us. Yes, we know God is with us, but do we experience the God of love and peace? Like, do we sense, God, you're here, you're in this moment, you're in this space? I really think as we live out these things, watch the God, God himself be with us. Amen? We see this communal exhortation, and here's how we end, and here's how Paul ends. There is this Trinitarian benediction. All that means is Paul uses the Trinity to bless the people. And this is probably one of the most famous uh, endings to any book of the, of the Bible, any book of the New Testament. Verse 14, Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, Paul could have said, and the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with those of you who are nice to me. But like, he, he says like to everyone, be, may, the, may just the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Listen, I love that he invokes and calls on the Trinity when it comes to blessing. Church, this is one of those profound mysteries. When we talk about God, we worship one God who eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's one of those truths that when we study the New Testament, I know there's an element where we kind of get overwhelmed at times, and I think that's understandable. God is infinite, and I'm finite. God is immeasurable, and I'm not. And I think my mind kind of comes to an end eventually. But you see this idea of just one God who eternally exists and worships in three persons. You see the baptism being said, we're told to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this name of God and yet three persons, name singular, and yet the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And notice what Paul does here. He communicates some sort of attribute with one person of the Trinity. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of Jesus be with you. I mean, the, a central theme of this book has simply been grace. He goes, do you not know the grace of God? That though he was rich, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I mean, this has been the focus. He goes, don't you know the grace of God, how good it is? Or the love of God? Actually calls on the love of just the Father, the love of God. That God the Father loves you. That God the Father has created you, made you in his image, called you out of darkness into light. That God the Father loves you so much, he gave his best for you, he gave his son for you. And he says in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is with us. Again, there's something about when, when believers gather together to lift up the name of Jesus, to worship, to sing, to repent, to study God, to talk about him, to talk to each other about just life. That the, there's a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Like, man, the Holy Spirit is with us. I was having lunch with someone this week. And as he was talking about the goodness of God in his life, I was just overwhelmed with God, just God's goodness in my life. Like, it hit me of, like, as he's talking about how good God is, I'm like, yes, he is. And in that moment, like, we're like, you know, we both have, like, I don't know, that excitement of, like, God, you're so good. It's almost like the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is something that's very unique, and I believe it's very unique to the church itself. And here's the thing. Paul ends with this beautiful blessing over people who've really been hating on him. <laughs> Like, these people have not been friendly. We've seen it from chapter 1 and 2 all the way through the very ends. They've been dissing Paul, mocking Paul, belittling Paul's leadership and authority, and Paul can only end with blessing. He's like, the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
I love Paul's maturity. I love Paul's just authority here. I love the blessing in this church. Think about this. There's nothing else more we could want for each other or for our families. I want the grace of Jesus to be with you. I want the love of God to be with you. I want the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with you and with me. Like there's nothing more. Church. Like, think about what church is today. Think about all the things people try to make church known for. I think one of the things we should fight for and long for is this. Like, I just want the grace of Jesus. I just want the love of God. I just want the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God, be with us. Be among us. Let your love be tangibly seen and expressed. When we see families up here that we want to pray over, let us truly love on them. Let us come alongside and seek out what their needs are. Let the love of God be tangible and expressed. Let there be no needs among us, like Paul says in the book of Galatians. Let there truly be the love of God seen actively in the church and in the community. That when there's a call to serve, it's not like, oh, here we go again. It's like, no, we get to actually be the hand hands and feet of Jesus in this moment. He goes, let the love of God, the grace of Jesus, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is my prayer for our church. I mean, at the end of the day, what do I want for my kids? Do I want them to be successful? What is success? Do I want them to make a lot of money just so they can die and leave it to their kids? What do we want for our kids? What do we want for each other? I can't think of anything better. I want them to know the grace of Jesus. I want them to know the love of God, and I want them to have this intimacy and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Is there anything else we want? I was talking to some parents recently. I mean, over the last couple of months, the same theme. It's just all I want for my kids is for them to know Jesus and love Jesus and have intimacy with God. Yes. This is Paul's prayer and blessing over the people. Let it be ours. Would you guys do this? Would you stand with me really quick? I just want to pray this over our church as we close out 2 Corinthians, as we start 1 Thessalonians next week. I want to end with the same thought. Would you guys just close your eyes for a second? Just close your eyes for one second. Just say, Lord, we ask that you'd be here. Even just in a posture of worship, would you guys just lift up your hands really quick? Just in a posture of just what I want to receive from you, God. Father, may the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, and your love, and the fellowship of your Holy Spirit be with everyone in this place. We want to receive the grace that is found in your son. We want to receive the love you so have lavishly poured out on us. And we want to experience this fellowship of the spirit. God, I just pr- I ask for my life, for everyone's life in this place, that this would not have been a Bible study through 2 Corinthians, but that Jesus, you would make us alive, make us that new creation that the old things have passed away, all things have become new, that God, you would just speak into everyone's heart here the wonderful truth that because they are sons and daughters of God, you've given them your spirit in whom cries out within us, Abba, Father, that God, you are close, you are near, you are Father, that we are not some stranger, we're not an enemy anymore, that now we are part of the family of God. Let your spirit confirm that in their lives. God, for those that need to examine and test, may they examine and test. But Lord, I pray in the process, Jesus, that they'd realize it's not a focus on their sin that we need, but a focus on your son, a focus on the Savior, a focus that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let us not go too overboard with this examination that we miss the focus. is not, again, on our sin, but it's on you, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you that you love us. We just want to worship you now and praise you now. In your name, Jesus. Amen.